right. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you are alive and you are well, give me an amen. Amen. If the Lord Jesus is walking in you, making you more and more like him, give me another amen. Amen. If you are being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that is making you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. Say another amen. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. That's your portion today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's sit down. We may have to stand in a short while, but let's sit first. Okay, Second Peter chapter 1, let's read it again. Very important. Peter said from verse 2, he said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He said in verse 4, For by this he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He said, Now for this very reason. What is the reason? The fact that he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, so that through that, so that by these promises, I wanted to say, we may become particles of the divine nature. He said, because of these things, we should not apply all diligence, so that by it, in our faith, we will supply moral excellence. Verse 5. So now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, verse 6, supply self-control. In your self-control, you provide perseverance, and you up in your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. He said, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, these qualities, is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, he said, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, we've been looking at dominion over sin. We have been looking at that for some time. And over the last um, few sessions, we have emphasized that um, we've tried to look at the word fear. And that's to bring out the fact that if we fear properly, if we understand the consequences of things, it's easier to overcome them. I remember a story I told, I've told many times, which I read from um, Miracles Happened by um, uh, this woman, what's her name? Mary Kay Ash, yes. She described how her husband finally managed to break the power of cigarette smoking in his life. And what was the reason? It was simply because he saw that he was hurting the people that he loved. And that simple revelation, okay, gave him the inner strength to stop smoking. Even though in his own particular situation, it was too late. He died shortly after from lung cancer. Within the next two years, he had died from lung cancer. Now, what I'm just going to bring out is that when we understand consequences, we, under, we are able, all right, to resist things better. And that was, well, that's why we talked about that in details. The issue of um, fear. The Bible says, we read that from Hebrews chapter 4 into chapter 5, that Jesus was head because he cried with um, 
loud cries to him. He prayed with loud cries to him that was able to deliver him from death. And he was heard because he feared. We have looked at that. Now, what I want to emphasize again is one of the things we have also looked at before. Let's just go into it in further details. I'm explaining to people that I've been teaching us here that the Christian work is not a work of strength. That is personal strength. It's not a work of determination. Personal determination is not the amount of resolve you have in yourself to get something done. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a work of grace. What is grace? I do the little that God commands and then he releases abundant power to get the results that he wants all right, in my life. What is grace? Grace means that if my heart is right and I believe the right things, I'm walking by faith. That faith activates the power of God to get results in my life. Natural ability is not what counts in Christianity. No, it's what we need to know is how to tap into divine ability. If you use natural ability, natural ability works. The Bible calls it bread, all right? It works. Man shall not live by bread alone. But if we use natural ability, eventually we wear out. Because everybody has a certain amount of strength that they have. And sometimes in life, you will come across things that are more difficult, more, all right? They have more strength than you have. The Bible calls it running against horses, okay? You will have to run against horses at certain times in life. And if you are using your own normal strength to run, you will not make it. But if you are running by the strength of God, remember, Ahab was in his chariot. But when the hand of God came upon Elijah, he outran the chariots of Ahab, all right, down to Samaria. Why? Because he was walking by, um, Ahab was going, walking by natural strength. Even that was excellent strength. It was the strength of horses. Yet, when Elijah, okay, had the strength of God walking on his behalf, he found himself outrunning the chariots of um, Ahab. Now, the point I'm making here is, is that's how God wants it to be in life. So Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That is what is God's grace. It's his power that's working towards me. It's his grace that is working towards me, getting, making me get results. So when you look at my life, it appears as if I have done more than everybody else. But it was not my strength. It was the grace of God working with me. Now listen to this. We are talking about dominion over sin. In the same manner, we are not working over sin because we are determined. That's why, you see, let's be careful in this life when we are mixing Human effort. Sometimes they are very good. Please, let me not, let me not um, don't misunderstand me. That's, what some, that's the problem I have sometimes when I'm explaining things to people. We are not saying the human effort in themselves. They are evil. Okay? But they are far inferior to what God wants to do. And sometimes when people are locked on human effort, when we are locked on what human beings have planned, we find ourselves unable to discover exactly what God wants to do. All right, what I mean is this. God is planning to supply power of grace for us. Let me give you a very practical example. You've heard of um, um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Have you ever heard of it? Some people are shaking their heads. Please don't shake it publicly. Do that nobody will know that you don't know about it. All right. It's not a bad thing. But they have different steps, okay? by which you help alcoholics break the bondage, the addiction, all right, they have to alcohol. They, go to, they have a support group. You come for the meeting. You, everybody there is, a, is either a current alcoholic or a former alcoholic, all right? Almost everybody. The idea is that you come together. There's something they taught us in school those days. They call it um, group psychotherapy. We used to attend those sessions when we were doing psychiatry posting. Everybody sits down, the doctors, the students, the patients, we all sit down in what you call group psychotherapy. So they do something like that. You encourage one another, okay? You talk about your challenges, your stress, your difficulty, your temptations, and other people will help you, and you come for meetings regularly. And it works for some people. That's the point I'm trying to make. But you see, you keep on struggling. A lot of people backslide, 
some come back, they are, they are helped. It's a good support group for alcoholics. But that's not the power of God. That's what I'm talking about it. It's not the power of God. The power of God works differently. The power of God doesn't work by group support. See, those things are not evil in themselves. It's, you know, that's when the Bible says that not all men have faith. And God is very kind. He recognizes that. So he tries to help people at the level that they are on. He tries his best for them. Okay, this is what, you, this is what will work with you. Fine. Manage it for now. You don't want to be an alcoholic? Fine. Join this group. It will help you. But the real release of grace is not through that method. That's the point I'm making. The real release of grace is not through that method. What he wants to do in our lives, okay, is for us, to, now, this summary of it, we apply the word. We believe the word. My emphasis today, again, is on apply. We apply the word, and that word releases power to overcome. It overcomes all forms of addiction, including alcoholism. Listen to this. If it appears as if it's not doing it, it is not being properly applied. Did you hear what I said? I'm not sure you heard me. Let me say it again. If the word is not doing what it's supposed to do, like breaking addictions, it is simply because it is not being properly applied. That is the only reason. Because it has power in itself to break the addiction. Let me say this again. The main problem in Christianity, whether it's with walking in righteousness and holiness, whether it's with, whether it's with walking um, in um, supernatural supplies, divine health, no matter what it is, the main problem is lack of faith and patience. Now, what do I mean by patience? I don't mean patience as in waiting for a long time. No, that's not what I mean, even though that applies. But I'm talking about patience as in diligent application. Well, this is what patience is. I always like to use medicine as an example. All of us can relate with that. A man is sick. They say, the example I've given here before, two difficult diseases to treat. One of them leprosy, the other one tuberculosis. They're not really difficult, all right? They are adequate medicines out there that God has enabled the scientific world to develop over the last few decades that are very effective in handling these diseases. Very, very effective. The only problem is that, as at now, none of them will be taken for less than a few months. When I was still a student those days, the common regimen for tuberculosis was 18 months. By the time I was graduating, if you had money and you could get the latest drugs, you take, you, then, I don't know about now, I'm not in clinical practice. Then you took four different drugs daily for six months. That's what the Bible calls patience. <laughs> what did I call it? Patience. Patience, the emphasis here is not on the weight. No. The emphasis is on the diligent application. It's on the diligent application. That's the emphasis. It's not on the waiting for six months. That's not what I'm talking about. It is that if it takes six months and you wanted your cure, you took those four medicines every day for six months. Some of them make you want to throw up. No matter what the difficulty is, six months, people take it. Many people that I didn't work for, it was because of lack of diligent application. I don't want to you know, flog that, those examples. The same thing with treating leprosy, all those things, the drugs are out there. It's whether people will be diligent in applying it. 
I'm saying the same thing with the word of God. The main problem is that of what? Diligent application. Look back into your Bible, please. I want you to look into your Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, where we're reading. I want to read that verse um, 5 again. Now for this very reason also. What's the next line in your own Bible? Chris. Thank you very much. Make every effort. What version are you reading? What version is that? Uh, NIV. NIV. What's your version? Living Bible. What does it say? What's the next line it says? Thank you. The word is there. Work hard. Work hard. That's what I'm looking for. Work hard. Living Bible. Which, who has a different version here? Huh? New King James. What does it say? Giving all diligence. That's what my Bible uses. Amplified says, okay, the same thing. Make every effort. My Bible here uses the word applying all diligence. <laughs> That's where I'm going. That is the, if the word is not working, it's the diligence that is lacking. That's the point I'm trying to make up. If the word is not working, it is the diligence that is lacking. Make every effort. I like that. It's not something you just sit down and say, I've prayed four times, I've not seen the results. People want to get cured of those diseases I gave as examples earlier. Six months intensive application. No wavering. The same number of tablets, day one. The same number of tablets, day 100. They are going to day 180. Many times for the first one month, you see limited results. And they will not tell you. Even if symptoms disappear after two months, make sure you complete treatment. A lot of skin lesions people have, some of these fungal lesions, they always emphasize. It's on the skin, depending on the level, the kind of skin. Skin and the sole of the foot, on the head, the face, is different. But most of them, the thinnest part of the skin, they say, apply for three weeks, complete. Most of them, you will see results in five days. But the doctor will pull your ear and say, oh boy, it's for three weeks. Even if you, at the end of five days, that's cleared. But the man knows that if you stop, <laughs> I'm describing diligence. I'm describing patience. You know what most of us think of God? We don't know how the word of God works. Once I pray, it must do it immediately. If it doesn't do it immediately, he didn't hear that prayer. I told one of our brothers who was ill. And when he told me about it, I said, when you come down, let us see. When we saw, so the doctors up here, there where he was, they wanted to operate. I said, don't, don't let them touch you. Come first. Let's talk. Let's talk. I said, I know my colleagues. I know this is a bone matter. I said, if they start, I don't know when they will stop. I'm not saying they are bad people. They are just human beings. Human beings are what? Human beings. They fail. They have limitations. That's the point I'm making. They have limitations. Nobody is quarreling. Sometimes I speak and I apologize. Sometimes I sound as if I'm saying these are wicked people. No, no, that's not what I mean. I'm saying they are human beings. And woe to him that trusts in them. No, be me talking It's God that said it. In life, be careful. When, before you have human beings do things, so you pray first. Make sure you have a leading in your spirit to go there. 
I like one story. I read in a Ben Carson's book, one of those books, I'm not sure which one, but I think it was also Gifted Hands. I was talking about the power of faith. A little boy was sick, had a brain tumor. The prayers had gone everywhere. Well, I don't know whether they went everywhere, but yeah, they came to him and said that they prayed. Now, in other hospitals, they had been told this was incurable. Little boy. So they said they prayed. Now, I think the boy, they went to other hospitals beforehand, and the doctors had said, this boy has, has a type of brain tumor that's not curable. The simple reason is that it's growing in what um, scientists, doctors call the brain stem. The problem with the brain stem is that you have to be careful. Most of the time, nobody likes touching it. That is a single connection between the brain and the, let me just put like the rest of the body. So everything passes through there, controlling the breathing, the heart, so many things. So doctors like to leave it alone. So when the tumor is growing inside there, everybody tends to say, please, keep off. And this happens to be an aggressive kind of tumor. So all the doctors that saw said, leave it. This boy is going to die. Little boy. The parents said no. So they prayed, and after they finished praying, they said, and sometimes people say, God said, like I told you, this is how I look at it. At the end, we'll know who said. They came to Ben Carson and said, the Lord led us to you, that you will treat this boy and he will be fine. And that we are very certain that our boy is going to be fine. The, boy, the, the man looked at all the results they brought from the other hospitals, and he had to agree with the other colleagues, all the neurosurgeons, the oncologists, that this is a bad case, it's not treatable. So he told them as much, and they said, no, you don't get it. That we are sure that the Lord said, you will treat this boy, and the boy will be fine. He said their faith was so persistent, he decided to, do, uh, to just go in and see, do a small surgery and see whether he can reduce the size of the tumor and get his own pathologist to look at it. So he went in, took a little bit of the tumor out, and sent to the pathologist. And the pathologist returned the same diagnosis. It's a bad case. For where it is, we're not like to be, I mean, everybody knew that you couldn't do anything. But he now did one other thing. After the surgery, he decided to do another scan of the brain. By the time he went in, they said for the first time, he, nobody else has seen that before until he did that. He found out that the tumor was actually slightly separate from the brainstem. He said, eh, is that the case? Let us see. It looks like it is not exactly what we thought, where we thought it was. They're just lying on it, wrapping around it. So by removing a bit of it, the pressure there released a bit. And when they did new scanning, they were able to see faintly that it looks like it's actually slightly separate. That gave him small boldness. So he told the parents that, I think I'm going to go in and try and clear all the tumor, which was not possible if it was growing inside that part of the brain. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So he went in and cleared every bit of the tumor that he could. Scraped everything off. Which normally for aggressive tumors is stage one. You have to now go with other treatments like certain kind of what they call chemotherapy and radiation treatment. So by the time he was done, the boy became relatively fine, was recovering very well. He now told them that next stage of treatment is this. The parents said, no, it won't be necessary. That's all the law said will be necessary. We are going home. He said because of the faith that brought him there in the first place, he couldn't argue with them. He left them alone. All right, take the boy home. And years later, the boy was still fine. Contrary to what the doctors had thought. Are you getting my point? Their faith was not for one second. 
You get what I'm saying? In the so, God uses people, amen? amen? But your faith, your trust must always be in whom? In God. I just like that example. That example showed that these people, God used this man, a human doctor, to solve their problem. That boy had been given up for dead. However, the boy lived. And the man said, that one he knew it was not his work. It was not his skill. It was God. So much that when they said, sorry, we're not taking any further treatment, he said, fine, if you don't want it, you are not the senior consultants. <laughs> you are speaking for the senior consultant, all right? You are the voice of the senior consultant. So what else does Oga want us to do? Oga says, discharge the boy, all right? Ben Kass is all right, discharge. <laughs> See me in clinic in a few weeks. He came back, the boy was fine. In a few months, he came back, the boy was fine. And as the last time he checked when he was writing the book, the boy was still 100% fine. Back to what I was saying. All right? That's a digression, okay? I'm sure you help somebody. It's a digression. Now, so, I'll tell you the story of my friend. I said to him simply, from my own knowledge, this is going to be a hard and long path. Why don't we pray and give God the same amount of time? The advantage of this is that it will not cost us money. It will not leave any scar on your body. You won't have to wear a cast for a long time. So we thought about it, discussed the word of God, we agreed, we joined hands, and we prayed. From what I know, it took a year, 12 months, before he was able to drive long distance again. It took 12 complete months. But we waited patiently. My experience, from my own experience, I know if it was my guys, that would have taken at least two years. If you are willing to give them two years, People are willing to attend Alcoholics Anonymous meetings for months and years. Why don't we, oh God, I pray we'll get to that point. Why don't we write prescription of the word of God? You have a problem, you get your prescription. So this is how we are going to tackle it. We are going to get up every morning and declare God's word. I said something last time. That when you pray, God gives you a rod. Can you remember what I said? It? Yeah, I discovered that recently myself. God gives you a rod. And any time problems come, he says, stop shouting. Lift up that rod over the waters. It will part. No need for running up and down. Just lift up the rod. Everything will be fine. So the prayer, therefore, is to get the rod. Are you getting my point? What is the rod? A specific word that addresses that situation. Like I said the other time, the more we resist, the easier it becomes. The further the, the temptations you know, the, in between each episode. And easier it will be to be for us to overcome until we have overcome so much. Remember, we're talking about the principle of beating the enemies seven times, five times, six times until we have thoroughly consumed them. The problem is lack of diligence. So he said, applying all diligence. That's what I want to talk about again today. We're talking about dominion over sin. God did not say, use your determination. No. He said this is how it works. You take the precious and magnificent promises and you apply all diligence and use those things to produce or provoke the divine nature in you. Are you getting my point? That's what the promises do. The, the word of God is like this. I said it last time. Let me say it again. The word of God is not a commentary about your life. 
But then when you declare, say, in the name of Jesus, I am like this, it doesn't mean you felt like that. Say, <laughs> in the name of Jesus, I'm a winner. You just lost the five, the last five bets. I, I don't know whether I get my point. In fact, I like what, the way this man said it. The Australian uh, millionaire, the one I talk about once in a while. Peter Daniels. He said, as a young man, he was certified to be uneducable. He said he can't learn that his brain is damaged. His teacher said his brain stupid. Everybody agreed that he was brain damaged. And that was it. He was an illiterate bricklayer or plumber. I forgot what he was doing. Until he heard the word of God preached. And that was told him that now you are a child of a king. And he made up his mind that if I'm a child of a king, I cannot be brain damaged. If I'm a child of a king, I can't be brain stupid. If I'm a child of a king, I must be successful. And he said he had more relatives in prison than out of prison. That most of his uncles were in jail. What does that tell you? It's from a family of criminals. There's a curse in our family. Are you getting what I'm saying? The village people said we will never do it. It was in his family too. You know, I was listening to Kenny Higgins today as I was driving down from work. And he said something. I laughed to myself. I said, wow! If this happened in Nigeria, they will find who made that phone call. He was describing one girl, two sisters. They were in his Bible school. One day, one shook the other one and said, you have a phone call. The other one collected the phone and fell down and died. Do you, you hear what I said? Pick up the phone, say, Hello. And fell down and died. As if not Niger. They will trace that call. <laughs> From that, people say, when you pick up a call, don't answer. Wait. If you hear me, hang up. <laughs> now, let me know that distract myself. The problem is that these problems are everywhere. Peter Daniel said, however, when he found out that I'm the child of a king, he forgot that his uncles were in prison. It became irrelevant to him that from a family where people don't do well, he just turned around and said, I am the child of a king. I can't be brain stupid. So he decided, in this life, I will succeed. First thing, become informed. He started reading. He, taught, he, he had dictionaries, about four dictionaries in the house. One, in the, one of them in the toilet. The bedroom, the sitting room, everywhere. He'd be reading a dictionary to learn proper English. And the last time I knew, he had read over is it three or five thousand biographies. So let me learn the stories of other men. With all of this, he did like three or four businesses and they all failed. That's where I'm going. And one day they asked his wife, all those days, what were you thinking? He said, the man said it would be all right, and I believed him. When they asked him, he said, well, what happened was I had not yet discovered the area of my strength. So he would do one business, it would fail. He would pay up all his debts after some time, close that one up, go into another one. It was like the fourth or fifth business that finally succeeded. All the while, that's why, don't believe all these lies they tell you. That there's a curse in your house. The man said, I'm the child of the king. So all these things now temporary matter. People say they, they two things. They say, I have a uh, near, near success syndrome. Like I always say, you can, you can call anything, anything you like. But what are you going to do as a result? They say, come for deliverance. That's why I start disagreeing. So a seat for deliverance. Listen, if the death of Jesus couldn't deliver you, your money can't deliver you. Fast and pray for deliverance. If the death of Jesus did not deliver you, fasting and praying will not deliver you. 
What am I saying? The word of God is not a commentary about your experience. The word of God is a record of the will of God for you. And your job is to apply all diligence to make sure that word works in your life. One of, one of the important things you do is to believe the word and speak according to that word all the time. Don't ever change your, your tongue because of your experience. That's why I like the story I just told about Peter Daniels. And then I said, well, first business failed. It must be that that business is not a good one. Let's do another one. Second one failed. It didn't cross his mind that he was working under a curse. Second one failed. He said, that must be a bad business. We're not supposed to be doing it. Let's go to another one. All the while he was learning some things he may not even have known. He was learning many things. And then finally, when he finally broke through, he broke through in a big way. The, the story, the high point of his life, which I always like to tell, was when he gave a counsel for 10 minutes and his fee was $1 million. You hear what I said? When he heard that people are doing training in Nigeria and they are paid $1 million a day, we're like, oh, more. $1 million a day. Come on. This fellow's home was 10 minutes. His fee was $1 million US dollars. And in case you think he was defrauding them, they made $100 million from listening to him. That's how successful he became doing business. Why? I think it was Billy Graham that preached to him and explained to him that you are the child of a king. And that mentality stuck in his head. Stuck in his head. The word of God does not describe your experience. Describes the will of God for you and it tells this is where your experience is going. I hope you're getting my point. Applying all diligence, he says, use the promises to activate divine power. Use the promises. They are precious. They are magnificent. Use them to bring moral excellence to your faith. Use them to increase in knowledge. Use the promises to produce self-control. Use these promises to produce perseverance. With the power, the application of these promises, produce godliness, produce brotherly kindness, produce love. Through what? Diligent application. The reason why things fail, when somebody said that uh, I'm addicted to something, the word of God has not broken it. Listen to me. We have not yet applied what? Diligence. That's all. We try once or twice, we leave it. It's not working. Yet the doctor gives you a prescription for six months and you stick with it. And we stick with six months. We stick with it. One of the things I want to tell Christians again, listen. Psalm 45. I want to talk about this diligent application. All right, Psalm 45. What I want to read here, okay, is to talk about briefly, like I was mentioning earlier, about this commitment, this diligent application. We can't do it unless we are totally committed to something. That's what I want to bring out. From Psalm 45, let's just start, read from, let's start reading from um, verse um, 6. So that's a safe time, all right? Where I'm going is verse 7. He said, Your throne, O God, he was talking about the Lord Jesus, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter, is the scepter of your kingdom. He said, you have loved righteousness, verse 7, and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, 
has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. I'm going to stop reading here. What I want to bring out from here is the fact that he said, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. I want to bring out something to us believers. If we are going to get the result in the word of God, we have to love it for the fact that it's God's word and not just trying to use it to get a result. And if it doesn't work in the temporal you know, period, we suddenly give up on it. I don't know whether you're getting what I'm going to say here. That is the main problem we have, and that's why the power of God is not released in His Word in our lives. It becomes like some, that's why I talked about total faith. It's like something we pick, we check whether it's working. If it doesn't work, we drop it. But we don't fully love it. I hope you are getting my point. I want us, this, this is what God requires of us, to be totally committed to the Word, the, word, the way a Christian man is committed to his wife. You know what? I have to say Christian man, because these days, people sign prenuptial agreements. And after some time, marriage is not working, they walk away. No. We are talking about the way God said a man, a woman should be committed to his or her spouse. That is, love is patient. What does that mean? It means, whether it works today or it takes 10 years, I'm not going anywhere. Are you getting my point? Listen, do you know how long Abraham waited for Isaac? 25 years. From the time he was caught, Isaac was born, was 25 good years. 75 years he was when he was called. 100 he was when Isaac was born. The only reason why a man waits that long is because he wasn't planning to stop waiting. I don't know whether you're getting my point. There was no plan to stop waiting. There was no other plan. It's that we are working with this God and we are working with him and that's, that's all we are doing. It's very important we get this point. He said, because you have love. The problem with a lot of us believers, we don't truly love the word of God. We want to use it and see whether it gets us something. That's the problem. That's why I've been preaching when I'm talking about faith. The word of God is not methods. It's a living thing that you fall in love with. It's not this is a method for getting results. That's not the word of God. I don't want it broken down into methods by which we get something. No, it's something we relate with like a living thing. We fall in love with you. We hold it. He said, you have loved righteousness. I told you once, I went somewhere. People were talking about how to get something out of your husband. It was a couple's meeting. What do you do? You smile for him. What do you do? You rub his back. You cook his best meal. I heard all kinds of things. And I've heard, apart from that meeting, I've heard it here and there. By the time I finished, that, that day, when everybody finished talking, I said, I have to talk. I wasn't planning to speak. I said, you know what everybody has been saying? They've been using this thing as methods. This is pure witchcraft. It's manipulation. That's what it is. It's manipulation. If the man will not agree, anoint his photograph. It's witchcraft. You are trying to make him do what you think must be done. The word of God now becomes the method by which we get what we want. You will kneel down for him. And you, were, you, you, did, you have not knelt down for your father. Eight years you've been married to him. You have not knelt down for him. It's the day you are learning. You're a witch. It's manipulation. It's, I mean, I'm telling you the truth. It's manipulation. I said to people, listen. Christians love righteousness. You know what's righteousness? Whether we want anything or not. If it is right, we do it. Whether we want anything or not. If it is wrong, we don't do it. That is what Christianity is. If it's right, we do it. 
If it is wrong, we don't do it. It has nothing to do with what I want or what I don't want. And that was what Paul told Timothy is godliness with contentment. That is the very act of godliness. When I do it, I'm content with it. Whether it brings results or it doesn't. Christianity is not a religion of results. It's a way by which we walk with God and we are pleasing to God. And we get our satisfaction from being pleasing to him. As once God says, that is good. Even if he leaves you naked, you are happy. On Saturday, I was teaching about faith. I showed, we read through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And Paul, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, explained clearly to us that some people were delivered by faith. Some died by faith. Some refused deliverance by faith. Faith is not the way I get just what I want. No. It is how I do what God, we said that day, it's how we activate his promises. It's how we walk in a manner pleasing to him. If God says this is what is good, we are happy that that is what he says is good. If the plan of God for the life of John the Baptist is staying in the wilderness, eating locusts and white honey, it does not inferior to those who go to parties and what do you call it, wear expensive clothes. By faith, he stayed in the wilderness. By faith, Jesus refused to go there. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. Faith took one man there. The other person said, that's not where my call is. Both of them were walking by faith. Sometimes in trying to teach certain gospel, we want to say he didn't understand certain things. He understood everything. Forget that thing. So if he had understood, he would not have died when he died. Believe me, he died at the right time. John the Baptist died on the proper day he was supposed to die. How do I know? Because Jesus refused to start his ministry until John was taken out of the way. Go and read your Bible well. The Bible says clearly, it was when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody that he began to preach. What does that tell you? Jesus knew clearly. My ministry and that of John are not supposed to run side by side at all. He's a forerunner. Once he has run four, <laughs> you get my point. And I come, he stops running. What am I going to say? That's what faith is. By faith, we, we activate what God says, not what we want. What am I saying from that one? People who get results in life are those who are committed to the word of God. They are not counting results it brings. They are just what? Committed. They discover a word, they walk by it. Back to what I was saying. Listen, this is what we do. The promises of God, we use, they don't describe what our lives or our experiences have been. They describe what God wrote in his book. And, and we are saying this is where our lives are supposed to go. So when we declare that I walk above sin, it does not mean I didn't walk yesterday, I didn't fall into sin two days ago. I don't know whether you're getting my point. <laughs> if I say, sin shall not have dominion over me, as a Christian, it doesn't mean I have not fallen for any temptation the last one year. I hope you're getting my point. The word of God, what I'm saying, when I declare that word, I'm saying that temptation, don't bother coming back, I'm not falling again. What we are doing is waging war with the word. And that's why Peter wrote it like this. We apply what? Diligence. Using all diligence. We use the promises of God to activate divine nature. Which we know from this word of God was deposited in our hearts when we gave our lives to Christ. 
school of prayer. That's where we are at. Among the teachers again, listen, we walk in dominion above sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. I've said again today, it's not by determination, not by personal energy, not, you know, I'm a strong-willed person. Strong-willed people in Christianity, they fail, always. Because strong-willed will be good sometimes. Then when God speaks, you don't know he's the one speaking. You are so strong-willed, you, don't, you refuse. Go and read the story of Jacob and Esau. The stronger-willed person was Esau. The physically stronger person was Esau. The more determined person was Esau. Esau was the person that knew how to get what he wanted to get. And in case you don't know it, like the reference described him, he says, a typical English nice chap. Esau was not fraudulent. He was not crafty. Esau was straightforward. He was a hard worker. But why did he not get the promise of God? Why did the grace of God not manifest in his life? First, how did God describe him? The Bible called him a godless man. Being nice is <laughs> not the same thing as godliness. Being principled is not the same thing as godliness. What is godliness? It is a person like Jacob. He was not a very straight fellow, we know. He wasn't particularly strong, we know. But there was one thing the man wanted more than any other thing. The moment he heard about the inheritance, about the covenant the family had with God, the man said, I either get this thing or I die. You will be surprised. That was what God loved about him. What about all his problems? God said, I will solve them. He said, I won't let you go. I will discipline you until I bless you. I don't know whether you get the point. If this is what is wrong in your life, I will break it. Don't worry. You think you have sense? I will send you to the house of a man that has ten times more sense. By the time you come out from the house of Laban, you will despise sense. When they say be crafty, you say no, craftiness does not pay. When Laban finishes cheating you, you will learn how to pray. When Laban changes your, your wages ten times, you will download from heaven genetic engineering. 5,000 years ahead of your time. You will take a stick and peel the stick and put it there. And the power of... Let me look for one physics word. I like technical words. There's one particular word I'm looking for. I will find it. Don't worry. Ah! This word come now. Don't spoil my message. <laughs> oh, God. No, 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 no. Aha! The power of quantum entanglement. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I don't worry. Some of those things, science will find out later. How the man was able to just strip wood and make animals change what they are producing. It's called quantum entanglement. Go and Google it up. The man thinks that people will discover thousands of years later. How did he find it? Because of labor. 